Welcome to Third Eye Science. I'm your host, Susan Von Toon, and in this podcast, we'll explore the lines between science and spirituality. As a scientist and a yogi, I've found that these two realms do not have to be mutually exclusive. With the mind of a logical scientist, I've navigated my own spiritual journey with a curious and open mind. I'll share lessons and tools that I've found along the way and have compelling conversations with spiritual leaders, teachers, yogis, and fellow travelers about their experiences and practices. In this age of information and misinformation, it's time to interpret and understand the world with your third eye. Hello, and welcome to Third Eye Science, a podcast where we will explore the lines between science and spirituality. My name is Susan Bontoon, and I'm a scientist and a spiritual seeker who is really interested in this topic, and hopefully because you're tuning in, you are too. I'm going to start with the fact that I tried to start this podcast about a hundred times yesterday, I would say. And it's, it's just one of those things that all of a sudden I turn, I press record and I'm like, what am I going to say? What do, what do I have to say? Why would anybody listen to me? And in the spirit of being authentic and vulnerable, I felt like I should share that even though I didn't want that to be the first paragraph of my podcast. So I'm just going to keep going. So the reason that I am really passionate about this topic is that I, I believe as a scientist with a logical mind and someone who is on a spiritual journey, those two realms do not have to be mutually exclusive. And many people do put them into separate they don't see how they mix. But for me, it's, they go hand in hand because science or one of the traits of being a scientist is being curious about the world. And so my, my whole thing is how can you say that there's no such thing as God or source or some sort of something greater than all of us here on the planet if you don't explore that topic. And so I have had the, um, I've had the willingness to explore that through meditation and yoga. And I've also been sort of kicked in the butt by the universe and, um, had, had some really challenging things that brought me to my knees that really forced me to explore what, greater meaning there was in life. And so the reason I named it third eye science is because I felt like it really perfectly brought those two things together. The third eye is the center of intuition. And it's something that I've really been honing my connection to my intuition through this practice. So a bit about me, I'm a marine biologist. I have, um, I wanted to be a marine biologist ever since I was a kid. I've also been really artistic, but I was kind of obsessed with 
dolphins and whales and I had pictures and posters of them and my dad would give me books. He was someone who like he, he my whole family are were all avid readers and he would always give us each books about the thing that we're interested in. And so um, I have tons of books about the ocean and about whales and dolphins. And I, it was one of those things that people always kind of said, oh yeah, yeah, you want to be a marine biologist. Like, doesn't everybody want to be a marine biologist? It's funny walking. So I live in Santa Cruz and on the Monterey Bay. And when I meet people around town and tell them I'm a marine biologist, they, there are two things that people say here, especially in Santa Cruz. Number one, oh, I have a degree in marine biology, but they're like a real estate agent or a contractor or, you know, something. They, there are a lot of people who pursue that in school, but then didn't actually do it as their career. So it's really given me that perspective of being really grateful for the path that I'm on and that I got to do the thing that I always wanted to do. The other thing I often hear from people is like, oh, have you seen that Seinfeld episode? (laughs) If you've seen it, you'll know what I'm talking about, but I won't get into that. But I have also been, I have always believed that there was something bigger than just us. I, I grew up in a family where we went to church. I wouldn't say that we were religious, um, but it, it was, it was a Lutheran church. And luckily for me, I do, I did feel like I had, it was a loving God that I was taught about. I wasn't, it wasn't a fearful or vengeful God that punishes. Um, it was definitely a source of, of comfort. But as I got older and my, I would say when I was about a teenager, sometime like 14, 15, I just really started to have, I rejected religion in general. And I would say that it was sort of a bias, um, on my part in terms of how some people have these dogmatic views of, of spirituality with that religious perspective. And I do believe that there are many people who are religious who are also very spiritual. There are also many people who are religious who really don't know anything about spirituality. And for me, spirituality is really just connecting with source, which for me, so I can, sometimes I use the word God, um, at, at first I was a little bit uncomfortable with using the word God. When I had my spiritual awakening, I tend to be more comfortable with using the phrase, the universe, but it's really just, I believe that there is an energy that connects all of us and that we all have part of that source energy in us. And it is a way in which we can connect to each other. And I believe that the goal of this life is to actually connect with people and to experience that oneness. And I, I also believe that we come here over and over again, we come to this planet and other planets 
and we live incarnations in which we evolve spiritually. And so that has been my, what I've come to believe through my experience. And it's really given me this perspective of openness with other people's religions or beliefs. I no longer have to like reject somebody's views on the world. Everyone can believe whatever they want. It's, it's really up to them and everyone's on their own path. And so I'm going to share my beliefs and my perspectives and you can take what, what resonates for you and, and leave the rest. Um, there's nothing that says that you have to believe one thing. And I really believe that at the core of every spiritual practice is, is the truth, which is love that we're all love and we're all light. And that may sound hokey or new agey, but the fact is um, the science is coming around to actually starting to understand that. Modern scientists are studying things like epigenetics and photons and quantum physics. And they're actually putting experienced meditators in MRI machines. And so we're starting to better understand what is actually happening in the body when we have these spiritual experiences or connections. And so that really interests me. And that's one of the things that we will definitely be exploring in this um, as more episodes unfold. So... I also feel like I should talk about my my spiritual awakening. So one of the things that um, I, I will say about my family that I grew up in a family that was very loving and um, I have two sisters and my parents were together. My grandfather lived with us, but we were definitely a family that doesn't talk about our feelings. <laughs> and so I was this sensitive, emotional kid. And I just, I like, that is part of who I am. We're, um, it's funny, we're in Pisces season and I am a Pisces. And it's just so, it's, I am like, I I act the way a Pisces is supposed to act. It's really funny. Um, but I'm also a rising Capricorn, which means I actually know how to get shit done, which is really has served me well in my life. So I get to have this scientific mind where I also um, am productive and detail oriented and I do a lot of things, but I'm, I have that Pisces dreamy sensitive, intuitive side. And so I actually, the more I've learned about astrology, the more I've come to really love my chart and feel like my soul really knew, knew what I was doing when I incarnated this time. <laughs> but I, coming back to my childhood, I, I did feel like I didn't, really fit in and in the way that I was, I was always the one that was upset and crying. And (laughs) and my parents had this thing that they joked that 
even if my sisters were fighting with each other, I would wind up crying. And it's because I'm, I'm an empath. Like I can literally feel people's feelings and I'm starting to understand that more and more now, um, as I have deepened my practices, but I, when I, and anyone who knows me really well, if they're telling me something where they're super emotional, I will cry for them if they're not crying. <laughs> and sometimes I'll cry with them. But I know a lot of people who have that block where they can't really have their emotions. And I've finally let myself just be and and express my emotions. So I'm unapologetically being my true self. But what happened to me in my, um, as I got older, as I was a teenager, I was relatively shy, but I had some really great friends in high school. I, I felt pretty connected and secure in my friend group. Um, and then when I went away to college, I started drinking and it was just, it was really easy to go out to a party and drink and it made me the able to be the life of the party, the social butterfly. Guys liked me and it was like super fun. And I would just basically binge drink on the weekends. And then during the week I would do my work and I was a really good student and I worked really hard and it but I was always using alcohol to change the way I felt or to like change the way I acted to let go of my inhibitions. And it wasn't until later. So I, I graduated, um, from college and moved to California. I'm originally from New Jersey. So I moved across the country and just sight unseen, moved to California, the Monterey Bay into a house where I didn't know anyone. And I just knew it was my path. And I also in grad school did the same thing. I had that um, balance of working really hard, doing really well in school. I had really great friends. I was coming out of my shell a little bit more, getting more confident with myself, but I still would drink on the weekends or whenever there was a party. And whenever I drank, I drank to change the way I felt. It was just, it became that habit. And so then as I got older in my, um, I would say it wasn't really until in my thirties where I started to drink much more frequently. And it got to a point where it was just like, I drank every day and it, I was a highly functional, um, alcoholic. And so I got to a point where something had to happen. I kind of, there were a few, there were many red flags, of course, now looking back, but it wasn't until I got a DUI and I I remember sitting in jail that night. Literally, I've never, I mean, I am like in some ways such a rule follower and such, I was always like a good kid. And so the, the fact that I was sitting in jail was just like mind boggling. It was like, what, who are you? What has happened? And so I, I remember thinking to myself, like, I am 
at rock bottom. And it was, so the next morning, they basically hold you until they can't, they can't let you out drunk, basically. And so the morning comes, they let me out. I um, have to call a taxi to get home and I get home and I just completely ashamed of myself and like mortified and also really worried about the consequences of a, a DUI. And so I finally went to, I went to a lawyer with, I I would say that week I probably did. And I had it in my head, like, this is something I need to stop drinking, but I didn't, I still didn't know why. And so I went to a lawyer and the lawyer told me to go to AA meetings and have a things, a slip signed saying that I was going. And he said to go three to five times a week. I was mortified. I was like, oh my God, I have to go to AA. I didn't know. I didn't know at the time. I didn't know anyone in recovery. I certainly didn't know any, um, yeah, I didn't know any recovered alcoholics. And as far as I knew, I didn't know any active alcoholics. Um, but so then I found, I, I finally went to my first meeting and it was in that meeting where I just heard the words that hit me like a bolt of lightning, which was, um, this woman said, with me, it was never just one drink. And I just realized I have, I have never had just one drink. And so I basically, it was just like the first time I ever like had that epiphany. And in that moment, I knew that I was an alcoholic. If someone who self-identified as an alcoholic said those words and I related to them, it just hit me. And so I got, I, I wound up having that woman as my sponsor and I wound up getting really involved in the program. And I will say that it changed the trajectory of my life. Um, now that was four and a more than almost five years ago. And now I just, within the last year, I had the realization that, um, I can be of service. So I, I had been really active in AA and I was, um, working with other women. I was sponsoring other women and I, it's kind of one of those thing, those things in the program where you kind of are just meant to be there for the rest of your life. Like you, you go and you help other alcoholics. And I realized that that was something that, um, it was a lesson in my life that I apparently needed to learn that I don't always have to follow the rules. <laughs> and it was a really big deal. But this summer I had this realization that I can be of service to people outside of AA. And, um, so I'm no longer a part of that program. And it was, it was a really big deal for me, but it was also, incredibly freeing because I honestly, I'd had such a deep spiritual experience in my meditation practice. So as I should rewind during the program, I did the 12 steps, but it also, the 11th step is prayer and meditation. And 
it's something that I see a lot of people gloss over in the program, but I, that's not a judgment. It's just something that is not, I feel is not emphasized. And so I started to meditate daily. Um, I would say almost three years ago now. And it was just such a deep communion with my soul that I felt like this is, it just, I knew that that was what I needed to, to continue my spiritual evolution because I realized that that is actually what I was doing here. And the more, of course, you know, having a completely clean system. Oh, I should also mention I had been vegan for um, years, even while I was drinking. So I would come home and have my nice vegan meal with a bottle of wine. Um, this is how like crazy addiction can be. You know, the denial is really, really deep. But I was vegan. I was a runner. I was a yogi. I, I, the, I took yoga teacher training, um, with a system called Tri Yoga, Kali Ray Tri Yoga. In uh, I started in 2000, so 18, 19 years ago. And I got really into that style of yoga. It's a flowing type of Hatha yoga. And I started doing, they, ha- they would have teacher trainings on the weekends. And I just started to do it to deepen my own practice. And then eventually I just decided, well, I might as well get certified. And I started teaching really just uh, um, subbing at the center. And then I started teaching at work at lunchtime for free just to get better at teaching. And it was really great. It was, it turned out that people really resonated with my classes and I really enjoyed doing it, but it was something that I always kind of just did on the side and when I had time for it. And then I never, but I was never able to have this home practice. I always had to go to yoga. And so all of this is happening while my drinking is getting, you know, getting worse and worse. And I still was doing yoga. It got less and less and it got to a point where, you know, when I just felt like I needed to calm down and needed some relaxation, I would, I would choose wine instead of yoga. And now, you know, having, then having gotten sober, I was able to go, go back to really doing more yoga. I was running a lot. I would say that running became my first version of meditation. And I wouldn't really say that. I think that exercise has a very, uh, it's super effective in a lot of ways for clearing the mind, but it is completely different from meditation. But for me, that was my way in. I was really able to go for these long runs and have, and and do a lot of self-reflection and have spiritual awakenings on, on a long run. I trained for, I did a few half marathons and then I did a full marathon and the training for that involves, it's, it's, it's a huge time commitment. So I was doing that as well as being super active in AA. And then 
I started, I was also going to yoga and I started to, to meditate. I, I realized that I needed to have a daily meditation practice. And to be honest, I think this is one thing that can be really helpful for people. It is that I realized that meditation, I had the barrier for me was that because I had been doing yoga for so long, I had this idea that meditation involved me sitting in lotus in front of an altar with mala beads on my around my neck and and I had to do it early in the morning and I had to light a candle and the whole thing and it just kept me from actually doing it every day. And so I finally just said to myself, you know what? It doesn't have to look like that. Like I can just sit down and breathe. And at first I started, for me, visualizations are really effective tools. And so I love um, meditations that have visualizations in them. And of course, almost all meditation involves the breath. Actually, I shouldn't say almost all meditation involves the breath. And so it's a way to very deeply connect with your body and become the observer. So for me, I I felt like I finally was able to have this daily practice by saying, okay, I'm going to start with by just getting up 10 minutes earlier and sitting down and meditating no matter what. And so I did that. And so that has been something that I've been doing for I don't know. I said I would say I would I did that for about a year and then I I was introduced to Guru Singh who is a kundalini yoga teacher um that I'm sure many of you know. I had heard about him through um through Julie Pyatt actually, Srimati. And she started talking about him on on her social media channels and I just started following him and I realized, well, I, I, I wound up listening to every podcast, everything I could find, just, I couldn't get enough of, of his teachings. And so it just, it just resonated with me super deeply. And so I started looking into Kundalini yoga and I, oh, my best friend from home said to me, it's on my bucket list to go on a yoga retreat with you. And I was like, okay, anytime, just let me know. And she has three young kids at home and she lives on the East coast. She lives in Pennsylvania. And so it was a big deal for her to be able to get away. And we knew we weren't, weren't going to be able to go for a whole week. So we had um, identified Kripalu center, which is in, Massachusetts would be a good place to go. And we had just started talking about when and where we would go. And she looked at the Kripalu schedule. And it's just sort of like, if you don't have a specific thing that you're looking for, or a specific date you want to go, it's kind of overwhelming, because they have hundreds of people teaching there and classes and workshops and all sorts of things. And so she said that she's like, I don't even know where to start. And we had just started talking about that. And then that morning, Instagram, Guru Singh, it says, 
will be at Kripalu on March 17th, 18th, and 19th, and which is my birthday also. So my, my birthday is March 17th. And so it was just, to, for me, it was a complete sign that we were supposed to go. And so I said to her, I was like, are you, I think I just got a very clear message from the universe. Are you willing to try it? And I sent her some links so that she knew what Guru Singh was, was like and what to expect. And we went and, um, and, and it was, I, I can't really say how life-changing it was because it, I consider him my, my teacher. I also met other people at that retreat who I know were, I was meant to meet and who are people from my soul family. And it was, it was that weekend he taught us a, um, a meditation called Kirtan Kriya, which I think I'm I'm going to do a bonus episode in which we will, I'm going to talk about some of the benefits of Kirtan Kriya, the science that um, researchers have found of how it actually changes the brain. It's one of the, the meditations that has a lot of research has been done with it. And, and it is actually the recommended meditation for the Alzheimer's Prevention Society. So I'm going to do a bonus episode where we I'll go into some of the science behind it and then also go through it and teach you guys if you've never done it before. But so it's we started we we started with that we would do an early morning sadhana and then it's an all day long workshop you know yoga workshop and. And I just felt like, oh, I, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I have done Kirtan Kriya every single day since then. So that was almost coming up on two years now. And so it was also for me, Kundalini Yoga was the thing, the technology that allowed me to have a home practice because we did these yoga sets that were 15, 20, 30 minutes long. And I just decided, I was like, oh, I can do this at home. And honestly, I had just, I remembered what we did those mornings at Kripalu and I just wrote them down and I brought, I brought them, brought that, the notes home with me. And in the mornings I just got up even earlier and I did a little yoga set and then I did Kirtan Kriya and and I just started doing that every single day no matter what and and then through through that practice it has deepened my love of kundalini yoga and also my connection to myself and to source and and to everyone um, it is because for me, meditation, the thing that people often say about meditation, some of the hurdles to meditation, I think the number one is I don't have time, right? Number two is my mind is too busy. <laughs> and so I have some news for you. That is true for all people. It's the human condition. 
it is literally the nature of the mind to be thinking. And so meditation is not about clearing your mind. It is about becoming the observer. And you observe your thoughts. Yes, you, you'll hear in meditations, they talk about seeing a thought come and letting it go. But we and through that, you do eventually get to a place where you have space between thoughts and you may have the experience of thoughtlessness, like where you're literally just completely present in your being. But that is not necessarily the goal of meditation. The goal of meditation is to be to observe your thoughts and have some detachment from them. Because the truth is that all of us are super attached to our thoughts and we think that that our thoughts are are us. We think that our identity is our thoughts. But through a consistent meditation practice, you'll find that you can have that distance from your thoughts in a way where you can actually get to a place where it's not, you realize that you are not your thoughts. You are the observer of your thoughts, which reminds me of a really amazing book called Untethered Soul, which I read last year with a dear friend of mine. And um, he, he recommended it. And um, I think it's by Michael Singer. And that is really what it's about is that you are not your thoughts and that you are the one watching your thoughts. And so what does all this have to do with spirituality and, and science? So it's, it really is, for me, meditation and yoga is the technology that allows you, or the tools that allows you to find some space in your mind. And the science part of kundalini or any kind of yoga, if you're really a practitioner of, or any kind of meditation practice, is the actual practice of doing it and seeing how it changes your life and your mind and your relationship to your mind and the people around you. It's really about, for, so for me, with a scientific mind, I came to this practice and I can observe how things are changing in me and in the world around me just based on my perspective because my perspective has changed. And it's really been such an amazing journey that I'm, I wanted to share, share that with you just so that you could understand where I'm coming from as we move forward. So on this podcast, we're going to, sometimes I'll, I'll do these kinds of episodes. Sometimes I'm going to interview people that I know. I know some really amazing yogis and even some scientists, some doctors, some, uh, all sorts of people, basically people that I meet along my spiritual journey And that is what I'm hoping to do. No, I shouldn't say hoping. That is what I am intending on doing 
is having interesting conversations with people about science and spirituality so that we can take that that idea that spirituality and this new age spiritual movement is like something that's so out there it's not it's the fact is yogis and buddhists have been doing this for thousands of years and now modern science is finally actually catching up with them and being able to prove some of these things and understand what's actually physiologically happening in the body do because of these movements or these meditations. And so it's really an amazing um, time right now. We're in this new age in um, Yogi Bhajan. The, the Yogi Bhajan is the one who brought Kundalini Yoga to the West in 1968. He came here from India and he saw what was happening here. It was, you know, it was the age of of basically the hippies and the um, the drug culture was just starting. And and he saw that there was he could he could bring these tools and the people who are willing to do it. You could get there. You could have these spiritual experiences that I believe is what people who were trying things like LSD and other psychedelics, what they were trying to experience was was exactly what I get to experience in Kundalini Yoga with a completely clean, now I'm, you know, sober almost five years. I'm vegan. I have a completely clean, just really clean body so that I can connect really deeply. And it's been an amazing experience to, to, to get to have that and to just flow through life in a way where I have this faith and trust that I'm on the right path instead of the way I was before where I was always trying to control everything and figure out what do I do now and what am I, why am I going to do this or where is this going to come from or how, how is this going to happen and trying to force life essentially. When, when you get that space in meditation and yoga, it gives you this ability to surrender and so you learn how to surrender in your practice, and then you can bring that into your life. And so on a daily basis, things happen where I just I just do not have to react the way that I used to. And I used to react super strongly to everything. I was that girl that would just like flip out really easily and tell people what they should do and where they should go. And, and now I don't have to do that anymore. And in fact, I don't want to do that anymore. And people can see the difference. And it really has been an amazing journey. And I'm just realizing I've said the word amazing about 3000 times in this past 38 minutes. But so now I think I'm gonna wrap up by saying that the bottom line is that we are in an age, in this modern age, 
with the technology that is inundating us with information, I believe it's time for us to look at the world and try to understand the world with our third eye instead of with our brain. So I'm going to end by giving you this to contemplate. Can you too be a spiritual scientist? I believe we all can. And all that means is being willing to have an open, curious mind. That's what I've done. And I hope that that some of you will be inspired to do the same. Thank you and Satnam.